I'm going to tell you a story. At first, it's going to sound ridiculous. This is not the end. The invasion will fail. We lose everything. This is not the end. I'm not a soldier. Of course you're not. You're a weapon. They want to conquer the rest of the world. Unless you change the outcome. We are not equipped for what's out there. Welcome to episode 24 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. The podcast that um, explores the 1988 DC Comics crossover Invasion and all its tie-ins. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And today we're uh, doing a double feature. Well, we, we kind of decided we'll do double features. Yeah, we'll double bank a few uh, tie-in issues just because we've already talked about the characters, which is what we usually do in the second part. Yeah. So th uh, this time we're talking about Firestorm number 81 and Power of the Atom number 8. And uh, since we this is like the second issue of each that we've covered, we've already talked at length about Firestorm, at length about the Atom, and so... We're going to do both issues and skip the uh, character bios and whatnot. Is oh, that okay? It's okay. Even though we do have, uh, in in the case of Firestorm, uh, kind of new characters, we're going to chat to chat a bit yeah, about them. I, I doubt we... Uh, we won't go into very much detail. I don't but... have a whole lot of opinion about Soyuz, uh, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll cover it. So um, this issue, Firestorm the Nuclear Man number uh, 81, is an Invasion Aftermath Extra, which is where we are now in between Invasion number two and number three. So the aliens have been beaten and, uh, or seem to have been beaten. So we're in that truce. Uh, the issue is called War Bonds. It's by writer John Ostrander, which, who returns to the book after uh, Bob Greenberger like took over for one issue. Penciler Tom Greinberg, again, inkers Arnie Starr and Sam De La Rosa, letterer Duncan Andrews, colorist Nancy Hollihan, assistant editor Dan Raspler, and editor Denny O'Neill, who seems content to for Firestorm to take part in the <laughs> crossover, despite his other inclinations in other books. Uh, so let's talk about this cover. Uh, Firestorm, we've got a guy with a ripped shirt, uh, who we'll find out is Stanovolk. I don't know how to pronounce that, really. I think uh, that's it. Yeah, and uh, Tara, or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Someone who looks a lot like Tara, <laughs> but actually Soyuz's Firebird uh, lying prone with her head in a puddle amid all the destruction. What do you think of this cover by Tom Greinberg? Uh, it's very busy, and we're seeing like a, 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 I don't know if it's a new version of Firestorm, but this is a, uh, a pumped up Firestorm. He's a lot more muscular. He's uh, He seems angrier. He's... His hair slash flames are bigger. Everything's just, you know, it's a bit like, explosive, yeah. Yeah, and his back is huge. He has like this humpback and yeah, he, he looks, he looks mad. He looks yeah. pissed it's off. It's another Tom Greinberg mess. <laughs> well, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's explosions and, and I mean, composition is fine and, and we see, we kind of see the perspective of what's going on and, and, and it's an action scene probably taken directly from uh, the book. So. Yeah. What's odd for me is that the, like Firebird, you know, lying in the foreground has like thicker lines. Mm -hmm. She's much more, you know, she's well defined compared to the other figures or a lot sketchier. Did somebody else ink the foreground figure? Uh, because the rest is very Grindbird esque. I don't know. It, it, you know, I look at this cover and it's not at all a classic. There's just too much going on. Oh yeah. Although I respect the like the three characters and the, their their balance. I think oh, works yeah. with the colors. But well, that's a that's a basic you know that's a basic arts thing, right? Image composition. I mean, yeah. You can't Golden really, rule. Yeah, exactly. So you can't really mess with that. But you're right. Uh, the the foreground does seem inked by somebody else maybe it was too messy i don't know and somebody <laughs> just retraced over it or something <laughs> or uh, maybe it's just you know <laughs> part of the uh, maybe part of his style where the thing's very much in the foreground he gave a thicker line because oh, they're maybe, closer yeah. and more defined I, I don't know because he doesn't really do this in the book itself i think that's one yeah. of the things i we won't talk a lot about uh in this discussion is tom greinberg because we went over him yeah, yeah quite yeah. a lot in um, quite a in lot. past episodes and uh, your listener feedback. Let's get into the issue with a synopsis, as per our usual want. <laughs> uh, a depressed Firestorm contemplates the invasion's aftermath, wondering about his place in the world and whether he can ever be more than a warrior. Ronnie and Mikhail 
can't jog him out of his funk, so they separate in order to go check on their respective families. Mikhail finds his apartment half-destroyed, his family missing, blood everywhere. Ronnie, for his part, arrives at an empty apartment, his folks simply busy at work. And then Lorraine Riley, a.k.a. Firehawk, is at the door, despondent, that she got radiation poisoning from a previous battle, which is not an invasion battle. It's Brimstone way, way before. Uh, back in the USSR, Mikhail finds an emergency field hospital where his family is being treated for wounds incurred when the wall of the apartment exploded. His daughter may have been blinded for life, and his wife is furious that he left them to fight the invaders as Firestorm. As he leaves the tent crying, Vikor, a member of the teenage Soviet super team Soyuz, approaches him and asks him for help because another member, Mikhail's niece, Firebird, has gone missing. He tells him how Soyuz, too green to really fight in the war, did their part by helping rescue people from Moscow's wreckage. Mikhail summons Firestorm to help with the search. Now, currently, Firebird is unconscious and being dragged by an insane amnesiac Stalnoivok, the, the Soviet super soldier codenamed Steel Wolf, who woke up from the coma Firestorm had left him in just in time to be drafted for the war effort. Still following me? Yeah. Okay, basically, he's just a rage monster uh, at this point. He killed a fair few Oka Arans and, uh, and he sees everyone as, as his enemy, so he's about to kill Firebird as well. Firestorm shows up just in time to stop it and they fight. Firestorm then decides to put an end to it by killing the Steel Wolf, but Firebird stops him, having telepathically realized that Stal Neuvok is not in his right mind and that it isn't his fault. She uses his conditioning against him, manifesting in his mind as Stalin, telling him to sleep, and then has a heart-to-heart -heart with Firestorm, who is angsting about his being a non-person, just a collection of powers. Before she can make him accept he's more than that, there's a flash in the sky, and the last panel is polarized. Ah! As this will happen a lot. This will happen all the time. So, War Bonds, thoughts? Well, the synopsis, which is pretty busy, uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on, yeah. is uh, right on point. Firestorm kind of picks up where Red Tornado left off somewhere. <laughs> uh, where, you know, he's angsty, he's he's yeah. not really a person, he's, he's basically just a collection of powers. He's just, he, he has this consciousness, but he feels empty inside. And, you know, he's not even helping... I mean, Superman and Green Lantern in this book are just picking up debris and doing stuff. He's just rolled up in a ball, just thinking and up in space. Uh, so, yeah, I... Well, know, he I, has the power to clean this up well, fairly he could just, easily. He could just atomize all the, you the know wreckage. What? This is the 80s. He could have transformed that into ozone and fixed the ozone layer. Firestorm? Come on, man. Yeah, but, but he's already been... <laughs> He's already uh, brokenhearted about yeah, his attempts to change the world for the better in past issues. There's this whole thing uh, that took place in Africa where he tried to to um, to fix the a famine yeah, okay, by yeah. by creating a big garden and all that, and it backfired because course, that's not how it's no, done. It, yeah. it doesn't work. Like uh, J uh, John Estrander is very good at putting the superheroes in our real world, yeah. real world politics and all that. So he tried to do this. You know, he's most famous perhaps for Suicide Squad. But his run on Firestorm was quite lengthy, and he introduced all this Russian stuff, yeah. Soyuz and Stalnoyevok and all that, which, taken like an issue out of context like this, is a little bit opaque. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get into, who are all these characters? But, you know, there's that attempt. So, you're right, Firestorm could have tried, like, a, an Echo Warrior solution here, but maybe, yeah. he's just tried that kind of thing, and it backfired, so... Okay. Maybe maybe we can... And that's not the focus and, of the and, issue. And that's fine. That's I'm, I wasn't into Firestorm. I don't know all of this. And, you know, I'm just... I barely up... know it. Because I picked up an issue or two during this time. And John Estrander is one of my favorite comics writers from well, the 80s. Yeah. But I just could never get into it. Because every time it was like, what? So <laughs> I would only start picking up Firestorm regularly in a few issues from this. Okay. So we'll talk about that. Okay. But uh, one thing I did like is uh, the contrast between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, how, you know, uh, both parts of Firestorm just go back to their homeland. And, and, you know, the U.S. is basically, well, ooh, there was a war going on? And <laughs> and I we didn't know this. It and was, Russia's decimated? And it's, Russia is... It's World pound. War II. Yeah, it's exactly. World War II. <laughs> you know, I mean, one comes into an empty apartment with, uh, you know, we need to do groceries now. And the other apartment, uh, Mikhail's apartment, is just destroyed and families is... I mean, there's real drama. From my perspective, being Canadian, this is pretty much how it's always been. You know, you, you look at 
you know, the old countries and there's always destruction. And, you know, you look at Syria, which is basically a parking lot now, and you go, wow, th these people live there right now and stuff like that. And, and it's exactly the same thing. You know, there, there was war in Russia and there was war kind of in the U.S., but, you know, no destruction. Nobody, we all can go to McDonald's and, you know, grab a fry and, you know, yeah. have a shake. We're watching the war on TV. Exactly. And, and Which would be a thing pretty soon because, the, the, like, the big war on TV yeah. would be, like, the Gulf War. Yeah, exactly. Which is, like, a year or two after this. Exactly. And, and this felt really real. You know, and you were talking about how Ostrander likes to put these superheroes in a real-world situation. This is very much real-world and... And almost too honest. It kind of felt like he was he was saying something with just that little part there. I really like that. That and how all the Russians have like Marvel superhero counterparts. Mm. <laughs> the Steel Wolf is like Captain America, basically. He's uh, like, well, yeah, he's like a Red Guardian. He's like, yeah, uh, I guess. And uh, you know, Soyuz is basically like the Runaways or. Uh, some kind of X-Men. So you saw, you 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 felt that it was like because this is a question that I put down here. So yes, yeah. Russian Teen Titans or Russian like X-Men analogs? It, it, uh, to me, they were X-Men analogs. But let's talk about Soyuz briefly. Uh, this is like a, this is a quintet of superpowered uh, teens, and they've all got you know except for Firebird, who is like a phoenix figure right well that's that's i think that's why i did the connection firebird phoenix i said oh well yeah yeah because the others they've all got sort of elemental type powers there's a kid vicor has the like a tornado a wind powers yeah and you've Light got storm some, yeah you've got someone with fire powers you got something like electricity or you've got all these yeah these types of powers which could very well be x-men powers yeah, yeah yeah you've got a storm you've got a... that's how i felt about them and i didn't really analyze them i just Looked at them. They only said what they did. They didn't really. We didn't really show them in action. You know, we just see little bits and pieces in flashbacks. But but yeah, you're right. Like a Firebird character whose powers are actually telepathic. Yeah, it's Jean Grey, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And there's one panel where you see him running in action. Mm -hmm. And for some odd reason, there's like this glowing thing, and it looks yeah. a lot like. Well, the guy uh, Perun, or I think that's his name, is like a named after a thunder god, so he's got electric based powers. Yeah, it, uh, but just his pose—it's like he's Wolverine, like the, yeah, the hair it, and the. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like a snicked moment, even though it, you know it's like they, they ripped off the art from yeah. a or the an X-Men comic. Yeah, the style. Yeah. If there were one character with. Uh, you know, like this one lens type thing. <laughs> we know. Like the Rainbow Raider. All of a sudden, we, we'd be saying these are the X-Men. But <laughs> they were very similar. Although I did like them. I, I saw they were like a, an X-Men... I don't want to say a rip-off, but like a little wink, little That's why I use the word analog. Yeah, I mean, yeah. analog is just you know, a stand-in for... Yeah. And that's fine. I, I enjoy that. Like, you know, I, I enjoy oh, yeah. it on, on both sides. I mean, I like you know. the Imperial Guard and I like... Yeah. Uh, Exactly. The Heroes of Laller and all that. You know, those kinds of yeah. translations are fun. Yeah, yeah, I like For comics fans. But I did feel like uh, Soyuz, this little teen team, were a lot more helpful in these efforts than the New Guardians were. <laughs> also in Moscow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like, yeah, I like that they've, they've taken the charge of, you know, the responsibility of... The cleanup crew. The, yeah. yeah, the cleaning up and rescuing people and digging people out of a wreckage. Because that's a very important... Well, that's a big part of the game. So they're a rescue team rather than a combat team. And that's perfectly legitimate. And I think... Oh, yeah. Something superheroes should always get into. Well, it, can. It, one of my favorite superheroes of all time is The Flash. And that's basically what he does in the start of every fight or every time there's some around... He's always the person who takes everybody out of this place yeah. and situations because we're going to destroy buildings. and No we... innocent bystanders. Exactly. So, you know, I always enjoyed him doing that. I mean, he's thinking about people first, and that's what superheroes should yeah. do. I understand that uh, seeing Superman save a baby from a, a building fire, it's not like big superheroics. It's not like punching Mongol in the face. No, but yeah. you want to see that. You want to see that in the teaser. You want to see yeah. that in... Like, he has a busy day, and that's one of the things he does. And that's, just to that's, save a cat from a tree, you know? Yeah, that's... That what, kind of stuff. He, he needs to show that he cares, right? And these superheroes, I love them. They care. They care a lot, actually. And they know their place. Yeah. They know that they're not very good or effective at combat. They don't have that experience. So they do the thing that they are good at, which happens to be uh, rather useful. I think it's a bit of a Dunning's-Kruger effect. 
where you, you can't really uh, evaluate your competence by mm. yourself. And I think they're better than they think they are. Yeah. I really, Firebird's I, kind of wise. Yeah, because she even stops a superhero from killing a very powerful supervillain. Because it's just not right to kill people. And she, she found another way and she just shut him off. And and I really dug these guys. I, I really liked them. Again, that's John Ostrander. He's good at developing lesser lights. Yeah. I think Suicide Squad was a perfect example of you know making a purse out of a sow's ear. And these are characters he created. That whole Russian cat of characters are his his baby and it's horrible what happens to Mikhail's family yeah uh, but they're also about to be written out of the series so I think it's like okay well it's time to to really show the horrors of war without showing us the, the actual events yeah we're told and we're seeing the aftermath which really the the crossovers mandate at this point but it you know it, it feels terrible and it's, it does and personal in his case and it, it's a good time because like these characters are, are becoming disposable Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be a big change in Firestorm's there was, yeah. uh, setup. So if, if we're going to get rid of Mikhail, if we're going to get rid of his family, if these are not important anymore, let's make them go out with a bang and, and make it feel like it's yeah. organic to the story and important. And maybe make us feel for them. It's not a great situation. In Russia, it's really war. I mean, they don't have hospitals and they can't. They have the, these like tents or buildings where they have a mash... Yeah. Scene. yeah, it's a mesh yeah. unit in, in the middle of a city. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's horrible. Yeah. And then they wake up the Steel Wolf. You know, the Steel Wolf is is there to help, right? He's supposed to be there to help. Yeah, they just unleash this Hulk on the invaders, and then they can't rein him in afterwards. It's basically a metaphor for a doomsday weapon. Mm. You know, you unleash it. Yeah, he's it a weapon of mass destruction is basically what he is. Yeah, you, you unleash it, and it does what it does, and then we'll deal with it afterwards. Now they're dealing with it, and he's kind of tough. Because the blank slate Firestorm is still searching for who he is, mm-hmm. uh, that allows him to make the decision to... The interrupted decision, but the decision to kill. Imagine how horrible this would actually be if, if it had happened. Okay, I yeah. understand that he's a monster. At this point, the character's a monster. Um, Stan Oilvolk. But this is something... you know, Firestorm is a character, but he has two other characters in his head mm-hmm. who are powerless to affect his actions. They, they can convince him. They can talk him out of something. But really, you would be... A you know an impotent bystander yeah. to your a part of yourself killing someone and it doesn't happen but I think that's like that would be a very dark storyline for Firestorm. It would have been very dark and I don't know how you get out of that. Just think about how the backlash from uh, when when Wonder Woman killed Max Lord. I mean it, it, people went nuts and with reason that changed a lot of things and a lot of people went what we, we can't go this route with Wonder Woman. That's not her purpose. That's not what we do with her. And uh, I sort of drew a line in the sand. Yeah, and this would have been the same thing, but messier with Firestorm. I think it's a storyline that would have been worthwhile because you can get out of it. Because the mix inside Firestorm can change. You could conceivably blame it on the blank slate. Yeah, Firestorm. That's, that's a bit of a deus ex machina, where you could, yeah. oh, well, we changed the programming. So. But eventually you could. I mean, yeah, that, that would be one way to... Because the story doesn't happen, my, my, my scenario, doesn't happen to the blank slate Firestorm. Storm. It happens to the other guys. Mikhail's going to leave. That's that's one of the things. Mikhail's going to be is not today part of Firestorm, right? Uh, but what if he's out? Then at least Ronnie lives with this. Is haunted yeah. by this, and it informs the next version of Firestorm. Now maybe they've done this since then. I haven't read. We probably have all Firestorm. Probably have a ever. friend or somebody who listens who is a know. Firestorm expert. I don't know. I wish there was a Firestorm fan that I knew and trusted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who could tell me if this happened? If you are that Firestorm fan, well, please leave a comment on. Uh, I know there yeah. are very, very few Firestorm fans. There may be just one. Maybe. But if that one Firestorm fan would leave a comment and you know set yeah. the record straight, uh, and we can sort of track uh, how long it takes before he listens to the episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 back to this automaton type Firestorm. The two people inside them aren't really the pilots. 
Mm-hmm. They live with him. They can maybe influence him. They're basically the little devil and the little angel on the, sh- the shoulders. They're basically the conscious. Or both angels. Yeah, they're they're yeah, <laughs> or both angels. Yeah, they're both really. angels. Uh, that's basically how we're treating this. This is basically Pinocchio and two others or Jiminy Cricket. Right. Somewhere the 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 puppet just decided he's going to kill somebody. This is where you lose control. Anyways, this this would be a very evil thing to do to uh, two other people to kill somebody without their con. You know, they they don't want to do this. It would be like this weird, uh, what was that movie from the, the 90s, uh, Stranger Days, where you're caught in, and, and that's a, I don't know if it's a good movie, I don't remember. I, I remember it's about the year 2000 and some weird crimes. Virtual reality stuff. Yeah, I mean, you feel what the people who are doing the things are doing, and it's, it's the horrible crime, but the person who's doing it loves it. So when you put it on, you're doing a horrible crime, and you love it, and you feel all weird inside. Um, it just destroys your heart. So uh, this is something that would happen. Ronnie and Mikhail are, are in there. You have those two people who are just basically in the car when Firestorms decides to ram somebody. It's horrible. This is it's borderline. Yeah, and that's a moment where his like his eyes are really balls of flame. They're just like the pupil is like fire. So is it is it maybe because the uh, the puppet uh, the the Firestorm entity just accepted that he's not a person he's a weapon well i think this may be a clue to the next phase of firestorm because we're only an issue or two away from the elemental firestorm which will take us to firestorm number 100 and the series maybe this is the fire inside him and firebird a good name for a herald of this to come yes says there's something at his core there's something else it's not he's not just the collection of powers he's not just that blank slate there's something there and there is an entity inside him that is tapping into will become earth's fire elemental uh so seeing him with like fiery eyes and all that and you're right like the i know it's grindberg really but the plume of fiery hair is mm-hmm. way out of control in this issue oh, i think yeah. he's, he's about to flame up he's about to become and the fire elemental firestorm i mean it has a huge well, he's main. You know, he's like a he's a fiery lion almost. So this may be what's happening here, and since we are so close to it, yeah. And so it feels like Firestorm and his angst and his wondering who he is. The invasion has just pushed him further and further into that questioning. Yeah. And from that questioning will spring out a you know a new a new version of Firestorm. Well, with that flash at the end, what will happen? Is the gene bomb is or the, the gene, Metajon? Yeah, is the gene bomb going to be a catalyst for that change? Uh, we'll find well, out. There's enough foreshadowing in this that I'm saying yes. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, if if the gene bomb is a, a signpost yeah. Then before and after, there will be changes to the metahumans. There has to be. This is one of the changes that seems, you know, like obviously this is the demarcation. So we have partly invasion to thank for this change. Although it does, you know, you're you're reading this and it feels like let's get back into the story. We've been interrupted by invasion, but it's a lot more uh, integrated. It's not just yes, we were okay. We're getting back to the Russian stuff. We're getting Lorraine and her cancer or whatever yeah. it may be, which was very odd because we just saw her in battle in the previous installment, yeah. uh, and there was no mention of this. And then she just comes to the door, and weren't you in the fight? Where weren't you? The first time exactly. just gotten back, and you've had time to go to the doctor. I that doesn't it's really kind of clanky. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really fit. But it's like okay, all the subplots are coming back together. We're back on track with the Firestorm series, but Invasion has had much more of an impact than perhaps some other books that we'll see. Uh, another thing, Firestorm in this comic book is played by Nicolas Cage. Doesn't he look exactly like Nicolas Cage? Everything is Nicolas Cage with this guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right. He yeah. looks like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Top of page 20, for example, oh, yeah. is very uh, Nick Cage. Very Nick Cage. Now, that is an odd casting. But I don't hate it. I don't hate it. And while we're on the subject of Tom Greinberg's art, one last thing then. Uh, last page. <laughs> I know. Very last page. I noticed. They're missing a piece of the costume. <laughs> Firestorm's flying around. This is a discrepancy from one panel to the next. Uh, apparently, while he's flying around, he doesn't have the, the, the chest emblem. Yeah, it's that's just like weird. a yellow shirt. You know how I felt when I saw the last page? 
You know when we used to watch these, well, we, as if we did it together, but uh, there were these old superhero cartoons. They were drawn somewhere in, I don't know, Europe or yeah, China it's, it's, or something. It was usually Korea. Or, or Korea, yeah. And yeah. they don't know these characters. And all of a sudden, the Superman emblem would be reversed or yeah. Batman would be pink. Yeah, Super or... Friends is full of that. <laughs> Although there are some weird stuff like Hawkman has three arms. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't care if you don't know the character. Kind of why like why this. would you put three arms on a guy? <laughs> kind of felt like that. From one frame to the other. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like that. I guess maybe it's a little bit rushed. Maybe... No, I don't know. It's it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable because, uh, I don't know, I, the, the last page doesn't look like it's rushed. I mean, there's a lot of detail in the other panels. Mm-hmm. Just that, that top panel. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of looks weird. We'll put it up on the site, of course. Firestorm in a in a lesser-used costume. <laughs> we'll call it an alternate. <laughs> like uh, somebody rubbed off the, uh, the chest emblem on the action figure. What the fuck? Uh, so <laughs> oh, well. Uh, it'll be on fireandwaterpodcast.com, where you can leave comments, obviously. Any last words before we move on? Uh, Nick Cage for Firestorm. Okay. We <laughs> want that movie. Or do we? Let us know. Ha-ha! <laughs> We'll take a small break, we'll come back, and we'll be talking about uh, another atomic hero, Power of the Atom, number eight. Aquaman and Firestorm, fighting crime together, soak them down, or burn them up, no one does it better, whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there, to catch them in a bubble, or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice And see a land in air Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair The Fire and Water Podcast Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas And Firestorm, the Nuclear Man Available at Fire and Water Podcast Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan And on iTunes and Stitcher I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... We're back, and uh, we're talking about Power of the Atom number eight, uh, because we're doing a double feature, as we said, so we'll cover two issues for the price of one podcast. <laughs> I-, I really like this issue, by the way. I know we're going to get Is it because it. of the cover? It's because of the cover. I love how they just strung up a seemingly old, decrepit Hawkman. And Adam is all like, Ugh, why? My best friend! Not just because I hate Hawkman, but I'm not... I'm hating on Hawkman. I don't really hate him. I don't wish him bad stuff. But, you know, it's... It, I, when I saw this... You I don't like, care enough about Hawkman to... I don't care at all hate, about... Hate or love him. Exactly. Yeah. I'm more like, a, ugh, this guy... He's a superhero? I don't know. But, you know, I actually really like this because I liked the Adam's position and where he was in Invasion, what he was doing uh, in, in the first strike and what he was doing during. And, and I really liked where the Adam was in all this story. So I, I'm kind of glad to read more of The Power of the Atom. Well, this issue is called uh, Eye of the Storm. It's by writer Roger Stern, artist Graham Nolan, inker K.S. Wilson, letterer Bill Oakley, colorist Nancy Olahan. Assistant editor Renee Witherstatter and uh, editor Mike Carlin. The cover uh, that I referred to also has a note on the dead body, mm-hmm. on the strung up body, which says, Adam, the truce is over. And it's signed Kronos because the last time we saw the Adam, he was, he was working with Kronos. Apparently. Let's get into the synopsis and uh, then we'll tackle the issue. Because when we last saw the Adam, he had phoned himself to Australia where he fought the Kuns to liberate a work camp, and his archenemy Kronos showed up, but they were forced to call a truce while they both took care of the invaders. Now, it's after the superheroes liberated Australia, but uh, there are still alien holdouts. The Atom defeats a Kun soldier who didn't want to give up, for example. And then meanwhile, Kronos is looting Kund weapons to add to his stash, and a Thanagarian wingman sees him desecrating the bodies of fellow warriors, so he attacks. He's no match for Kronos' temporal tricks, however, and is killed by super-aging. Kronos then leaves a note on the body telling the Atom the truce is over, just like on the cover. Mm-hmm. Ray has just had his costume mended by Green Lantern. He's an old friend and... Uh, he was there. And Taylor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he finds the body and for a minute panics because he thinks it might be his BFF, Hawkman. Back in the States, 
uh, Ray's ex-wife, Jean Loring, is calling people up to see if they've heard any news about the Adam and the invasion. She seems very worried for someone who has a new husband. Classic Jean Loring. <laughs> uh, Ray phones himself back to the U.S. and tracks Kronos to a beachfront hideout. But it's a trap, and while Kronos gloats on a big screen, safe on his personal yacht, a bunch of his goons attack the Atom. Ray makes short work of them. So it's on to plan B, a force field around the house and bomb, about to blow. Kronos takes all his men out of there, thanks to phase vests, but one poor guy suffers a malfunction. Maybe the Atom could use the tech to jury-rig something during the 50-second countdown that he's got left. But the guy is afraid and says, over my dead body. Well, be careful what you ask for. The house blows up. Kronos comes ashore. Sure, he'll find the Atom's remains. Finds his henchman dead, his vest wide open, and the Atom leaps out of its workings. In the short resulting fight, Kronos tries to age the Atom, but the white dwarf matter suit protects Ray somehow. And the villain gets punched in the face. Kronos tries to escape to the future, but immediately bounces back, injured, babbling about a bomb. And just then, a bomb explodes in the sky, polarizing the last page. But the whole last page. I think that's the way you do it. That's how you that's do like, it. That's, that's like a kapow moment it. compared to all those tiny panels that we saw in Checkmate and Firestorm. Today. Oh, no. The, the people writing uh, Power of the Atom are taking great care to make sure they're part of this story. And, and I think that's why I enjoy it, because... It's like I'm discovering the atom and I'm not missing a beat. I'm getting to learn about all his powers and what he does, who he is. And it's well done. And, you know, we have this last page, which is a full page with just this one blast. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Loved it. I do wish we'd seen the atom and Kronos, uh, their partnership. Like when yeah. they call the truce, I guess they just like did their own things and just decided not to try to kill each other. Yeah. Uh, but I wish they'd worked together and that we'd gotten to see that. Well, we should have had another issue. Yeah. But that's one of the things I think that's perhaps problematic about the whole invasion crossover. The way the, the actual invasion books split up the action and then we're always seeing the next bit in yeah. the tie-ins instead of having tie-ins that take place during those issues. So the whole battleground Earth stuff happens just in 80 pages. Yeah, it could have never been... see like the heroes dealing with it. We should, we should we should have seen that. We should, the battle should have been. I, I I mean I love how it's it's concise and you know, know. we we get to the point quickly and it's not dragging on. But I think maybe some of the superhero issues, some of the single issues like Power of the Atom and uh, uh, I'm thinking Justice League and you know the big ones. But but especially the ones that weren't really involved in Invasion Number Two per se, or that we only just sort of glimpsed. Yeah. It would have been nice to see a bit more of the inside action. A whole mission with the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Rather oh, yeah. than... Because we only see like one page or two pages. Like go go in deep and see yeah. that battle instead Hell. of having it over like a couple pages. You know, I would have liked to see... I would like to see a flashback from that. I mean, I'd like to see it now. 2017 and we go back to... Remember Suicide Squad when we went into the invasion and we have like what they did. I'd like to... I'd buy that. Because, you know, it's a, it was a major crossover. But we didn't get to see that. And it's, it's fine. I'm sort of disappointed, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. Like, the action moves on pretty quickly from Australia and back to the States. And, you know, basically we're back on track with what we're doing before Invasion, which is dealing with Kronos. Yeah. Uh, so here it does feel a little more like this was an interruption, dealt with it, back on track. Yeah. Rather than the invasion necessarily having a big effect, because the truce does not then change yeah. anything about the Adam and Kronos' battle. Yeah, and I, and I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, uh, it's going to happen a lot. It's going to happen. I think some some characters will be changed, and some things will change within the the invasion. But I mean, a superhero and a villain going at it, and all of a sudden we have this other thing coming on, and you know they're just grabbing each other and saying, well, we can keep fighting or we can deal with this first and, and then we'll see. It feels still natural. It doesn't feel like yeah. a I think Roger Stern is solid enough a yeah. comic book scripter to, to use that to his advantage because he does use the, um, like the note, mm -hmm. using a Thanagarian warrior to tap into the Adam's friendship with Hawkman. Uh, makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, sort of a... In no way did I think this was Hawkman on the cover. No, anyways, it was Earth, <laughs> Earth 2 Hawkman or, uh, you know, Golden in Age any, Hawkman. In any case, it's the 
We didn't have the wings it's on his the, helmet. Yes. I, I knew it wasn't Hawkman. I was just glad it was a Thanagarian. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's a good use of that image. Oh, yeah. It's well played also where you look at a villain like Kronos and you say, well, he's a one-punch villain, right? You punch mm-hmm. him once and he's down and that's it. Uh, and he's not that smart. I think he's, he's, he thinks he's smarter than he is. I think that's oh, yeah. Kronos' shtick. But he's he's kind of... I mean, he's not dumb. I mean, he's not, he's not stupid. I mean, he's not Lex Luthor smart. He's not even the Joker smart. You know, he's... Kronos smart. Yeah, he's he's one of those brown and, and green villains. You know, where you, you, you drop a character and he's a villain because he's brown and green and he has this basic costume. And he's a basic... And we'll call him Kronos because it sounds cool, but me... And, you know, he he has the power. and he's, always... a, he's a shtick villain. So, yeah. originally, all his shticks had a time motif, but they weren't temporal, necessarily. Yeah. So, you know, he would fly around on a, like, a sundial kind of thing. Yeah. He's very kitschy. His bombs were, looked like hourglasses, and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And he'd be like a flash rogue. Yeah, exactly. Time is in the equation for speed. So. Right, right. Yeah. He, but, he could work there. But Kronos, in this thing, you sense the evil of this guy. He strings up a Thanagarian with a note on him. And he kills him with age. I mean, that's... I mean, even though, even though it's quick, it's you know, painful. And, you yeah, know, there's just something visceral about that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a bad guy. Yeah. I was kind of laughing at him. Because I, I like the whole thing where he's uh, sitting on a ship and sort of luring the Atom. Like, he had all these plans within plans. He knew the, the Atom would find him, and then it's a trap. And that's well done. Yeah. I mean, the, the stupid bit is going ashore and thinking, yeah, I've finally beaten the Atom. Yeah. You know you haven't, and you're a bad... <laughs> Have you ever? <laughs> you're a bad super villain. You're, he's trying to be Blofeld, but he's not. He's, he's, he's more of a cruel hands-on type guy who's trying to be... This mastermind. And I kind of dig that. <laughs> I kind of liked it in yeah. this thing. That whole thing where he's looking at it remotely. Although, I must say, uh, this is a panel I'll put on the site for sure. But page um, page 12, where the Adam arrives at the beach house. Okay. And we find out that uh, Kronos isn't there and he's watching all, all of that remotely. Those two last panels. What is that beefcake shot of the Adam, <laughs> Ray Palmer, stud? Just the pose. Yeah, it's... It's like he's posing for a, a musculation magazine yeah, kind really. of thing. And maybe that's maybe the rip. Maybe the, the, the artist kind of needed a shot. I, I don't know. And sort of... It's, but it's, then it's repeated on the screen. So it's like Kronos is enjoying some Adam porn. Yeah, really. <laughs> At least Adam erotica. Yeah, it's very yeah. He's you know, it's like Adam. Yeah, he's like puffing out his chest and, and the, the, showing off his deltoids. The fist on his. Um, you know, he slapped his his leg to make it jiggle, and then he tightened it up like yeah, they do in and the he, and I think the the basic thing is that he's he has his hand one of his hands in the back of his head <laughs> and so the other the other one in his hip. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's like it's really very much a, a sort of a it's a beefcake pose. pose. It's a pose. It's yeah. bizarre. Uh, <laughs> we can put the song Vogue right now. It looks like a pose from Vogue. Strike a pose. It's fine if it happens in one panel, but the fact that it's repeated on the screen in the next. And Kronos is laughing, so that's the, it, it adds to it. I it, just it love just, it. I, yeah, it feels like a meme in the in the making. <laughs> uh, and then the Adam... I like the Adam post sort of the Adam, because he really is a badass fighter. He is. So he's more than just a scientist... He's really going for it. He's got the battle skills that he learned in the jungle. And uh, here he defe- and he uses his powers to good effect. Oh, yeah. Growing and shrinking and shifting his density and mass around. Exactly. Uh, and he's pretty ruthless. Like the guy who gets a uh, electric bow staff in the face. Mm-hmm. Jeez. It won't kill you, but it'll hurt you. Oh, it goes zooch. Well, he's he's fighting like somebody who has to fight to win. Like he would do in, uh, I guess, in the jungle or where he learned to be like this. The only power I really don't like in this is the changing his density to be very light and gliding on air. It doesn't feel effective. Why would you glide on air and use wind currents? That's so weird. It's not flight. You'd be better off walking and making yourself lighter to crawl up something than to... you. I mean, I've been doing bubbles with my son recently around my house. And bubbles. Yeah, bubbles. You know, soap bubbles. Soap bubbles. Okay. Boop, boop, boop. 
Because he likes to be Captain America and throw his shield and bust the bubbles. Anyway, okay, okay. And that's what we... If it's for a superhero cause... It's we... always a superhero cause. It's fine. I'm I'm now the bubbler, though. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he exists, but the bubbler, trademark, best of act. Uh, I've <laughs> and I've been looking at these bubbles going everywhere. It's still better and... than Badrock the Leaper. <laughs> yeah, actually, yes, it is. But, uh, you know, I've been looking at these bubbles going everywhere, and I thought... And I actually thought of this comic book, and I thought, why would somebody want to fly like this it's erratic it doesn't go in it unless there's a nice breeze going on well no but think of it this way like first birds do it well they can control how they they glide right they also have propulsion i mean they 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 flap their wings yes but the propulsion for the atom is say jumping okay (laughs) i'll jump yeah and then i'm propelled yeah and then or you know and then probably instead of wings and you know rudders yeah. Like the natural rudders of feathers. Yeah. Uh, he's just adding a little density, a little weight okay, on okay. one side, on another to control. But he has pro- nothing to create lift. See, this is my thing with this. The lift. Is, yeah. Okay. I, I get the lift he's conundrum. A, I think it's a brilliant science superhero. I love it. But that part is just ineffective. It's not really stupid, but it, that part. He doesn't use it a lot. And I would use it like to glide down something. But not glide up. One wonders how he flew, basically, from L.A. to that beach house or whatever it is. I really don't know. Just give him flight. Just give him a flight ring or something. That's all I'm saying. Because the gliding thing... I mean, you, you've seen, you've been around a, a house, or all of a sudden the leaves. I've been go. around a house, yes. Well, yeah. Well, in <laughs> in the city, you know, the wind's erratic. There are drafts and, drafts and and little dust devils that create themselves, and just because the wind doesn't know where to go, and you know, it's erratic. But and Ray Palmer is really very good at all that. Of I mean, course he is. He's a superhero. He switches density in yeah. the middle of a fight, in the middle of a jump. Oh, I get it. I yeah. get it. For me, the thing that didn't work. Powers wise is the the cop out of his white dwarf suit somehow preventing yeah. the aging thing. That's yeah. just random. I mean, that's just well, not if he augments his mass incredibly. And we all know because we're all physicists, uh, we all know that mass uh, slows down time. So if you if you get closer to a black hole, time slows down. So he could because of his That's a uh, terrific no-prize attempt. <laughs> uh, and I respect that. I just wish there were a line of dialogue to explain that. Because there isn't. So it just seems like, oh, I'm immune to the one power you have. Yeah, it does feel like that. We should have Neil deGrasse Tyson explain to us why uh, mass and white dwarf star suit could stop time from acting. I don't know. Can we get Neil deGrasse Tyson on this? I don't really care. I don't want to have to spend all this energy, but I keep getting called out into the boxing ring, largely against my wishes. Yeah, it does feel like a cop-out. I did enjoy this issue, and, and now it's ruined. <laughs> now I, I still, you ruined I, it for me with the whole gliding thing. I still, I still love it. I still love it. I love this superhero. I wish I read more Power of the Atom when I was younger. I want to read it now. I will read it now. That's quite possible. I have the entire run! <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i think from the other issue coming into this one not a lot of things changed for the atom he's still badass and i still i'm still discovering him because in these two issues i i feel like i basically know the atom but i i really got to discover a bit more of chronos how bad he was not badass because he's not bad he wants to be badass he's a poser but he's really a bad person he's just evil and I, Evil and I, guy in Bermuda shorts. Yeah, and I like that. He's kind of and he's, sandals. This is what he's wearing. He's, he's actually wearing flip flops in this. He's cruel evil, but not Doctor Light cruel evil. You know, he's, and he's also not kung fu movie villain evil because he actually pulls his henchmen out of yeah. the situation where certain villains would just let them die as part of the. Because well, he, he, if he hadn't given them phase armors, the Adam would not have survived. Or wouldn't he have? Can't he just shrink down to molecular level where? The explosion doesn't matter anymore? I think he could, yeah. Or be so dense that the explosion... You know, there are many ways he could have gotten out of that situation. Actually, he could have used his flight power there as propulsion for, you know, that explosion. Make yourself very, very, very light. And, you know, it explodes. Feathers. You put a firecracker and you you put feathers all around. A couple of feathers are going to, you know, burn. But most of the feathers are just going to fluff out. He would have just fluffed up. But then again, I'm not writing The Power of the Atom. Nobody is anymore. (laughs) Well, we damn should. We'll take another break. A little break. 
and we'll come back with your letters from the front. Letters from the front. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team-Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Letters from the front! Letters from the front! This is it. Your comments on Checkmate number 12. Yeah. The episode 23. But first, we do have some outstanding... I, I'm not talking about the quality, just the, the... You know, they came in late okay. compared to when we actually uh, recorded. We recorded kind of close to the, the release dates. So some people have uh, comments about Invasion number 2. Okay. The previous episode. Well, that was a big issue. That was a big podcast. Uh, including uh, Jack Bond, who says, I especially appreciate you pointing out the Durlin in a non-Durlin ship in this issue. Or I guess this is even a comment from the Captain Adam <laughs> episode. I don't know if the various alien empires had these designs outside the series... Over at Marvel, it was mostly whatever the artist or the story wanted to draw, and any stylistic elements that would contrast them to other alien fleets were only uh, for the issue. You demonstrate here that the attention to this is not just a geeky train-spotting obsession, but potential use of a storytelling tool. An example I will follow whenever I need to hide the fact that it is my geeky train-spotting obsession. So he's interested in learning more about uh, the ship styles and how they relate to the characters and if they're consistent through the series. Uh, We'll certainly, I mean, it's just like the Checkmate one. There were some mystery ships there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I couldn't tell which fleet they were from. And they could be from an entirely different fleet because there are aliens in there. That are not the core. Yeah, exactly. Eight. We they do hire like Boba Fett's. Yeah, they, they, they have, hire Boba Fett's. They have uh, <laughs> they have bounty hunters. Bounty hunters. And, uh, yeah, there was a bounty hunter in uh, Swamp Thing. In the Swamp Thing. And, so mercenaries yeah. are entirely possible. In this. Yeah. Diablo Frank sent a couple of messages. Uh, one saying, "I don't want First Strike to end." Oh wow! Can't you guys just spin it into a Legion indexing show? The, the ah, Legion, Legion eighty nine. Yeah. yeah, I haven't read that, so you know. Everything's possible. Probably not going to But not necessarily probable. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and then Frank also says, looking at a uh, copy of the book um, in uh, the Invasion as a collection with bright colors makes it clear to me how amateurish McFarlane's art was. It's just a zine pastiche of every fan-fave artist from five years earlier given a blockbuster budget. It's like an 80-page monthly adaptation of an Amazing Heroes letters column. So many lines. I enjoyed your podcast about a miniseries I've only ever managed to force myself to read once with no planned repeat uh, in this lifetime. It's seriously the best overall event to have such a painful chore of a core miniseries to slog through. I'd read Millennium five times before I touch Invasion again. Underhated needs to become a thing, and Invasion is that thing. It's basically all the worst things about Crisis with none of the good stuff. And he doesn't want it to end. Uh, the, the show. Okay. He the likes show. the show. He doesn't oh, yeah. like the invasion okay. miniseries. Okay. Oof. Okay. I was... Which doesn't mean he doesn't like the tie-ins. I think. I think the tie-ins are sometimes they're more fun than the two invasion books yeah. that we. Did Where Millennium with. was total balls as far as the core series went, and it's eight issues. I, I would not reread that five times. I haven't read it. Um, yeah. But the the tie-ins, you know, could have some substance to them. But I think that like the miniseries itself was just. Uh, here's what you missed if you didn't read all the other comics and then some stuff with the new guardians okay so imagine Um, oh my he gets to the the core of the problem by saying you guys the main story ends on page 160 of 240 you guys (laughs) (laughs) so yeah because it does feel like that yeah the invasion is over by the second issue and then there's a whole third of the story left to go yeah what is that third well we'll find out we will find out but yeah I guess if you're excited by the war stuff yeah. Then that ends with number two. Well, I think that uh, comes back to when we were saying that um, we kind of wish there were more of the interactions, 
you know, like we would have seen, we would have liked to have seen a Suicide Squad mission focused on the Suicide Squad, not just seeing them in one panel with a couple characters we don't know who they are, but, you know, really seeing them acting inside this battle thing. I think we all would have liked to have seen a bit more of that, and I think that's what they're trying to do with Aftermath. The Gene Bomb, which is basically the last panel of every issue we're going to read from now on, really happens at the end, so everything before that is during the invasion, or almost. So I really would have liked to have seen a lot more uh, single issues, tie-ins with battles in them. And maybe we will. Maybe there will be more flashbacky stuff. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know because I haven't read it yet. You have, but I, you you know Oh, it's been this. a while. Yeah, but you it's have... It's been 20 years. You have a big brain. Mm. A lot of storage in there. Well, yeah. You it's... have like four gigs. But <laughs> it's so messy. <laughs> it's, it's hard yeah. to find what you're looking for. Uh, yeah, I imagine. Let's look at the actual comments from uh, the last episode, which was about Checkmate number 12, that yeah. whole space shuttle mission. Uh, David S. Gutierrez says, What did you think of Giffen's art style on Trencher? Because we did talk about Giffen in the Letters from the Front last time. Uh -huh. uh, it was busier than the previous work with odd details added. Yeah, I was fine. Yeah. His image stuff was... I like Giffen no matter what, and I like the experimentalism, like I said. Uh, it's not my favorite of the styles. I'm glad it didn't stick around too long. Uh, I kind of resent his later Ambush Bug stuff where there's a little bit of that doodling in it. It's like a combination of two of his styles, but uh, there you go. Uh, like you, Siskoid, I've always figured Checkmate would be something to hit that espionage every man sweet spot we both share. I think a good chunk of the run is on Comixology, and I may check that out. How Detective Harvey Bullock ends up helping to run a covert agency is anybody's guess. Well, it's probably detailed in the book. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Anybody's guess. Probably changes the way we see Bullock, though. You know, that's one of the things that I find interesting, now that Bullock is more of a established character. At yeah. the time, I didn't, I wasn't reading a lot of Batman books, so I, you know, Bullock was no one to me. But post-animated series, and, yeah. you know, Bullock's someone that we know what he's supposed to be about. So that's interesting. Rob Kelly says, I love this issue's cover. Uh, never having read Checkmate, I hope Paul Kupperberg forgives me. This was all new to me. The foreshortening, the character dropping in from the top, the detail showing they are floating in space, very captivating. I would love to know what crossovers like this did for marginally selling titles like this one. Did Superman or JLA readers follow the crossover to these titles? I certainly never did. Others then chimed in saying they either did or didn't. Yeah. So it, it depends. He says, I think Crisis was the only time I tried to keep up and eventually had to bail. There was an obnoxious amount of crossovers and well, and often it's just red skies. <laughs> like there's no tie-in, just red skies. Yeah. Well, that would be a, an interesting show to do. Um, red skies. That's red skies. We have a title. Oh, shit. Uh, while the whole notion of Batman family does reduce the character's uniqueness a bit, I always liked the idea that his progeny were less grim, less miserable than he was. I always imagined someday Bruce could retire and hand the protection of Gotham over to a team of heroes who could be just as effective, but find a way to strike a life crime-fighting balance. And then he says, bring back Batman Family Dollar Comet. And we've seen some of this. Yeah. With, with Bruce missing, Batman Inc. And, yeah. Uh, Battle for the Cowl. We've seen... We've seen where we want to go with... Batman retiring. Yeah. And but, it, I mean, it's a lot like, I mean, the Earth 2 Batman. They became commissioner and yeah. kind of left it to the younger heroes. Or The story's been done. And explored. Yeah, and they'll never, they'll never actually <laughs> exactly. do it, you know, pull the trigger on the actual Bruce Wayne. But it, it is an, a fun thought to, to see the future of the Batman and, and what the legacy would be, because we'll never get rid of yeah, Bruce. Yeah, generations as well. John Burns' yeah. generations did it. You know, there are stories like that if that's what you're looking for, obviously. Uh, Paul Hicks, our Australian correspondent, uh, says, uh, Siskoid, you mentioned Kronos. He means the series, not the villain that we just yeah. talked about. You mentioned Kronos. I thought I was the only fan of that book. You know, I, I love those little <laughs> series that went around the DC universe. And, and with Kronos, you could look at different times as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love that stuff. Uh, Chris Franklin says, add me to the list of folks who will probably grab a checkmate or two uh, if I see them in a the dollar bin thanks to this show. Good work, gents. Interesting tangent about the Batman family. My favorite Robins are Dick and Tim, big surprise, but I don't think it's fair to say Tim is smarter than Dick. Perhaps more tech-savvy, yes, but he's also more cautious. But Dick isn't reckless, he's just more fearless than Tim. Dick is also a better acrobat and fighter of the two. Well, you know what? I, I think he brings up a, a very valid point. Okay. Where these are my two favorite also. And the difference really between them is that Tim can become Batman. And Dick 
doesn't really want to be Batman. And it's not about smarts, really. It's about, I think, maybe intuition with these two. Grayson is, is one of those people who seems to be able to read people and understand what's going on without really, I don't know, researching or whatever. Uh, Tim would be more on the techie side, the more intellectual side, where he would do research for stuff like that, plan things out very carefully like Bruce would do. So basically, they're... They're both really great because one of them is the greatest detective and the other one is, you know, the fearless Batman. So I think that's why these two really stand out uh, compared to maybe uh, Jason or Red Hood and uh, and Damien, where they're more about how if we're going to play that imaging of Batman, basically Jason is the rage. And, you know, well... Not like they're all elements of their personality. They are all elements of... I. That's why. That's how I see it. And sometimes we like one more than the other. And I like all my Robins. I like the rage. I like the could-be-evil, but not really is, that Damien kind of represents. You know, because mm-hmm. if Batman went bad, well, you know, that's pretty much it. Damien is that aspect of him just constantly fighting to, you know... It's pro- it'd probably be easier for Batman to become evil than to just stay on the line and Damien is constantly battling that there are no bad Robins and maybe that's why uh, Stephanie Brown maybe that's why it never really caught on or well it did catch on for some people but but a lot of people didn't catch on because we didn't see that side of the Batman uh, within that in Robin uh, and we'll see as because we're talking about a checkmate show but obviously in the second part we talked about the different books that did not cross over yeah. the Batman question Green Arrow, and Hellblazer. So that's why you'll hear some comments about those. Uh, And uh, Chris sort of started a sort of war between our listeners about uh, you know whether or not tim or dick are you know, which is the smartest and <laughs> which is the better detective and why what evidence is useful and not useful chris does go on he says if you could overcome your hate he's talking to me and read the uh, batman the outsiders uh, new teen titans crossover ciscoid you'd see evidence that dick is a better leader than bruce that's actually a really nice story, and the last time the two operated together as Batman and Robin, they part on good terms, setting up Dick's handing the mantle of Robin over to Jason nicely. Uh, well, of course, I've read those those issues. I've covered them on my blog, uh, panel by panel, and you're right. You're only making my point for me. Batman is a terrible leader in those issues, yes. which gives Robin the edge by default. Well, Robin was a, a team leader since he was in his early teens. Yeah, and Batman's not a team leader. And it's not Bat- his, yeah. his thing. He has a full family and he still acts like a loner. So, you know, he's not a good leader. He also says he loves the JLU question, definitely his favorite version of the character. He's also disappointed to find him in the comics where he's never quite that guy. And speaking of that war about Robins, uh, David Ace Gutierrez returns to say Dick is a better Batman than Bruce. Just a better person, really. Oh, that's a big, that's a bold statement. That's not a knock on Bruce Batman fans. I want that to be clear. Always struck me as the more interesting of the two. I uh, may be one of the few Jason Todd fans without a Deadpool or ICP shirt uh, who's over 40, but I love the idea that there's someone that Bruce failed to raise properly and who doesn't worship at the Church of the Bat. He's a nice balance to the others. Well, I do think, though, that Jason does worship at the the Church of the Bat. I think that he is the representation of Bruce's rage. And I think that that's why Batman doesn't see him as a villain, even though Jason has two handguns. I think Bruce slash Batman sees himself in Red Hood, and that's why he keeps him in the family. I think he failed to teach him how to control that rage. So if Dick and... If you let me, if you let me get liturgical, Dick and Tim uh, basically are all about the Gospels yeah. of the Church of that, whereas Jason is more a fan of Saint Paul, exactly, you know, more vengeful, more exactly, crusadey kind of. If we're gonna religion. go that, yeah, yeah, that if we're gonna go that route, yeah, yeah, it is because I think Bruce is always fighting not to kill these people, the villains. He could, and he he restrains himself. He's you know he doesn't want to be one of them but he knows it's easier to be one of them and that's why i I think he failed to teach that to jason because jason he goes the bull in the head route but it's 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 a matter of conscience the same core yeah Uh, mark baker wright also says i'm sure it depends on uh, what one means when one talks about being smart it's tim who's always talked about as being a great detective not dick so 
That was yeah. the last kind of last word on that. But I mean, they're all kind of great. They each have their own strengths. Yeah, we're deciding on which we're chocolate is the best chocolate. And you know, some people like darker, some people like lighter, but it's all delicious chocolate. Salt. Uh, <laughs> you see. Uh, Ange says, uh, I love that question book, a philosophical book put out at the right time for young Ange. Between O'Neill's sensibilities and Dennis Cohen's gritty art, uh, it was a fascinating book. I love the JLU question as well. But this question, an angry Vic being trained by Shiva and Richard Dragon and hoping to find some peace, is my question. As for Hellblazer, I love the more downbeat Delano stuff. I like that John was really sort of tortured by his life, the slick con man, just a front. He was a bastard, but he was also hurting. The Fear Machine, uh, which was right in the middle of the invasion, came after the incredible first year and the reveal of what really happened at Newcastle. Nothing could top that, so Fear Machine sort of pumped the brakes a bit. I found Ennis's John to be a bit too much of a son of a bitch. Uh, he read a bit like a supernatural Punisher. I might recommend the Paul Jenkins, Sean Phillips run, which came after, which I read, but have very little memory of. Oh. And so that's a fail. Um, Jack Bond says this issue sounds like it would hit my sour spot or whatever the opposite of a sweet spot is. <laughs> it's strange that I can accept a JLA satellite where, in an emergency, whoever is on board jumps into whatever protective gear each thinks necessary and goes out to improvise. But tell me it's the space shuttle Atlantis and I start to sputter at it going anywhere beyond low Earth orbit, having stowaways at launch or spur of the moment spacewalks. Just personal taste. Yeah, well, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, it's it's still a comic book. <laughs> it's still a comic book. In a, in a superhero universe. So. Although it was nicely done, though. I, I think it, like, skirted that line. Yeah. Just, you know, just seem yeah, yeah. believable enough. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. You Within a out. world of super spies. Yeah. You it was better than Moonraker. <laughs> it was better than Moonraker. But, yeah, so you should actually check it out. Because maybe it'll hit your, uh, your umami spot. Because we're going with taste spots. But maybe it'll hit another spot and you'll say, well, okay. And yeah, John, uh, don't go see the next Fast and Furious movie. As I hear it's going to go in space. Uh, Derek, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to like that, but it's it's not going to be... It's uh, not going to be accurate. It's going to be NASA accurate. Derek Crabb says, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but I was surprised you guys didn't mention the climax to Detective Comics 596 and opening of 597 in the not participating part of the show. That is an actual tie-in, so it will be covered later. Yeah. You know, the Batman series was not tying in. That's why we mentioned Batman. It's not the character doesn't tie in. It doesn't tie in yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But do not underestimate our powers. I was first introduced to the question during the height of the 89 Batman film's popularity when number 26 that featured the Riddler ended up in my hands. I would go on to be a big fan of the character as well as Lady Shiva and Richard Dragon. I think it makes sense why Vic Sage and Ollie didn't participate at this time. As we said, I agree. Frank says, of the many thousands of comic books, I hope uh, to still get to read in this lifetime. None of them are named Checkmate. I was inter <laughs> I was introduced to John Constantine in one of the Rick Veitch uh, Swamp Thing issues. Like Siskoid, I tried some Delano stuff and it didn't take, but then Ennis and Dylan hooked me, and I still prefer that Hellblazer run over Preacher. For a while there, Constantine was a favorite of mine, but no other runs ever won me back onto the book after I left with Rake at the Gates of Hell, which I guess is the cutoff point. Uh, it bums me out that Bass doesn't have the indie itch. Which was something well, you mentioned last time. I can always be itched. I'm, I'm you, open. You can be scratched. I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm open. Oh, yeah. I just, I just need to, you know, <laughs> I need to be lured in with some. And uh, I did read a lot of other stuff, and you know, I have my little preference. I like my superheroes. You know, it's just a matter of time. You know, eventually yeah. somebody's going to put I, something I, in your hands. I love comics. I love comics in general, but when it comes to especially English language. Comics. I always go the superhero route because that's what I really liked, and that's what I still like, and that's that's one of the genres that can play on so many different types of comics. But uh, you know, I've read a lot of French stuff, and you know, and the French stuff is hardly ever superhero stuff. It's never superhero stuff. Yeah. I've I've even read like furry stuff, like Black Sad from Belgium and stuff like that. There you is, go. So I, I I just you know I like comic strips also. You know, right. I, I that's really not that's different. Yeah. Frank goes on to say, I really like Jason Todd's arc before he died, and I can even see potential in the Red Hood concept. But I, I don't give a fuck about how he relates to Bruce Wayne. I'd be much more interested in him as Dick Grayson's Dark Mirror, but they don't seem to play that up much. They usually always contrast him to Batman or yeah. 
get him involved that way. But, I mean, there's been stories where they've interacted. Uh, like Green Lantern, I thought Green Arrow was really cool until I started trying to read comic books about him and realized what tools they both are. Uh, but we all remember those classic story arcs uh, from the Mike Grell run, like... Just kidding. Nobody remembers anything but Longbow Hunters, and that wasn't very good either. <laughs> I sort of feel the same way. I must say, I'm not a big fan of that era of Green uh, Arrow. The setups in these things are great. <laughs> I've been enjoying them. Uh, I still think the question was the best thing Denny O'Neill ever did, and figure between Victor Zsasz and Aristotle Roder, you'd have a favorite writer proxy of his career. Uh, the Rucka uh, Rene Montoya stuff was basically a redux of that interpretation, which is to say philosophical chop socky neo noir. I agree that Jeffrey Combs is the best Vic Sage, and this is not that. Um, Facebook likes and shares. Why not? Uh, Abadaba, Abel Padilla, Anthony Madge, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Ed Moore, Erica White, Jason Pope, Jimmy McGlinchey, Michael Bailey, M Michelle Fifa, Pat Sampson, Rich Matsumoto, Rob Kelly, who uh, said, who says, special guest Gary Kasparov. <laughs> to which Bob Fisher answered, wait a minute, are you serious? Are, are you talking about chess? What did I miss? We did not talk about chess. We did not. That's not that kind of checkmate. Uh, Ryan Daly, Robert Ward, Sean Emmons, Shag Matthews says, Invasion Aftermath. So not really First Strike anymore, is it, fellas? Oh, well, no one ever said Ciscoid was detail-oriented. Just like no one ever said that Shag actually listens to the episodes. <laughs> because we did discuss the, a possible name change and we went against it. Um, Stephen Bird, Thomas Fovey, Zoom Yukonori. And then on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Aaron Moss, who says uh, he'll be covering this issue in a few months on the Task Force X headcast. Wait nice. for that if you're interested. Uh, Alan Middleton, Ange, Bat, Booker T, Cash Flag, Chris, Chris W, Coffee and Comics, David Is Gutierrez, Film and Water Podcast, Go the Podcast, Jeffrey Brown, Jim Bow, Joe Crawford, Justice's First Don, Keith G. Baker, Long Box Crusade, Man of Screen Podcast, Mark Lax, Feltz Comics London, Pod Dylan, Rod Pruitt, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ronnie Castle, Ryan Daly, Superman Movie Minute, Ted Kilvington, Too Dangerous, Treasury Comics, and Warlord Worlds. Thank you for sharing and... Thank you very much. Because that's how people find the show. That's how we invade stuff. That's... <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks you for being for... part of the Alliance. Don't forget, if you want to leave uh, your own comments to be read on a future episode, go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. That's the best place. Best place. Conversations going on there. We don't read everything we have, but there's a lot of stuff to read over there. I'm not Diablo Frank's biographer. No. no. <laughs> memoir <laughs> editor. <laughs> I don't know who would be, but probably Diablo That's good. That'd be a cool job, though. It would. Uh, and um, uh, if not, there's a Facebook page for Fire and Water. And uh, on Twitter, if you hashtag FW Podcast, it becomes easier to find. Mm -hmm. Or you can just find us as Ciscoid or the real Baslevac or whatever. Which, <laughs> is, which is weird. <laughs> which is weird. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. Find us, tweet at us, shout at us, uh, let us know what you think. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, Flash number 22 and Manhunter number 9.